0: Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, welcoming you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast, where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And we're continuing a series called Truth Over Trends. And the topic for today is about the body and sex. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the talk. I don't know if your parents had the talk with you or if you've had to had the talk, but I recently heard a great way of viewing it. Instead of seeing it as one single talk to have, you should see this as an ongoing conversation. And regardless of the age, regardless if you are married or single, this is a conversation that we must continually have, especially in the church. And let's see why God wants us to keep having this talk. Right now... We're going to have an opportunity again, not only to be blessed, but an opportunity to bless God, not only through the reading, but through our worship of the listening and pondering and meditating on God's word. And today we're we've been doing a series called Truth Over Trends as we've been looking at and comparing different topics and looking at the truth of God about this topic and comparing it to the trends or what we see in the world today. And so the topic for today is the body, all right? It's the body. Not the body like the church body, but the body body, your physical body. And when it comes to your physical body, we're going to look at one specific thing. And what we're going to look at is sex and sexual desires with that body now that must have been the weirdest transition from worship to a word ever probably right there I know that was I think some of y'all might have got whiplash but let me just say something just in case some of y'all are wondering I'm like uh oh like you know here I got my kids in the room and so I if I feel comfortable with them hopefully uh oh, what happened there hopefully you feel comfortable with yours here okay because this is one of those talks that all of us still need to have all right? So if you're single, I'm telling you, you're going to get something. All right? If you're in school, you're going to get something. You're an adult, single, you know, divorced, married, this is something for everybody. But this is important because especially, and I know it and I've seen it, lived it and living it with my kids, that man, this is something that our kids are, and everybody, no matter, I mean, to the youngest, they are exposed to the, the trends or the ways of this world regarding this at an earlier and earlier and earlier age. So, Let me just be real. This is a talk, and not just a talk, but a conversation that we need to have regularly because this is not, if, are are my kids having, no, they are. The question is, if you're a parent, are you a part of the conversation? Because they're already having it. That's an important one. But if you don't have kids, again, this is going to be good for you too. And the reason why this is something that is so important, because we just sang it a minute ago, right? That we may live a life that blesses God. And this is one of many truths that we can grab onto to be able to understand. Because listen, a proper theology or a better theology of the body and sex can actually testify to the power of God. All right. And so we're going to show you that as we move on. And so today we're going to look at, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, let me just kind of give a heads up for some of you guys. Uh, we have, for the longest time, because when we were on online, COVID shut down, everything, uh, everything was online. And so there was, a, there was something that we used to do, at least I used to do in our services in English, that we stopped because you had to stream it on your phone, right? You, and so you needed your phone for something. But for those of you, if you're online, you're watching it, well, I think we might have an issue with YouTube. But if you're watching it on a laptop and you got a free phone or something extra, or you have a laptop next to you, or anybody here, if you're in-house, you got a phone. Um, I'm bringing back a digital notes that we have on our website. So if you go to tabernacleofgod.church, tabernacleofgod.church, and you just kind of scroll, you're going to see something that says message notes. And there, not only do I have the Bible verses that we're going to use today and some of the bottom lines, things for you to fill in. So that way you can, you know, and add, a place that you can add and you can email your notes to yourself. So I definitely want to take a second. If you don't, if you have that, if you have your free phone, Definitely encourage you guys to take notes because hearing something, seeing something, and <clears throat> interacting with it actually all helps in a big way to be able to retain. So, with that, let's read. We're going to look at First Thessalonians again, chapter four. If you have it, heads up with this: this church, um, Paul is writing this church because this church, which was this is a uh, letter was written about 15 years or so <clears throat> after the resurrection. So the, this church actually freaked out. The Thessalonican church freaked out because they thought Jesus already came back. And they were kind of paranoid. They thought the return was over and God left them. I'm like, uh-oh, he missed a few of us. I don't know if anyone's ever been left behind by a parent or something. You know the feeling. All right. That's what they thought. This was worse. They, they imagined Jesus forgot him. But, so they go and write a letter to Paul because if anybody would have gone on the with the second coming it would have been Paul and so they want to say Paul are you still here so Paul writes a letter back you imagine the party they must oh Paul's still here okay guys calm down it's okay Paul's still here so that must have mean it didn't happen and so Paul goes and encourages them the reason why I mention that is because when you read the book which I encourage you read the whole letter first Thessalonians you can read in probably 10 minutes or less he talks a lot about Jesus' return because of that. was like, guys, listen, when it happens, this is going to happen. Trust me, you're not going to miss it. All right? You're going to know when it happens. But don't get so caught up because we don't know when it's going to happen. But we do know how we should live until that moment. And so he focuses and helps that church to understand that. Notice he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I'm going to read it to you guys. Verse 1 and 2 he says, additionally, So if you finish chapter 3, he kind of says this amen, because this point that he was trying to make, he kind of already made it. But he says, oh, and uh, by the way, before I leave you, before I wrap this up, you know, he's writing a letter. So he's not going to, like, start over. He can't backspace, right? And so he says, listen, one last thing. Let me mention this additionally. Then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus, as you have received instruction from us, notice, on how you should live and do what? Please God, like you know how to please God, how to live a life that pleases God, how to live a life that blesses God. By the way, you are doing it. So I love that phrase, guys. Listen, this is a great church. You guys are doing a great job. I, I want you to know what I'm about to say doesn't mean you're not. I know you are. But he says, listen, you are doing it. But do this what even more, guys. That's a great word for all of us here because if you're a special, let me talk to a one of the you know a veteran. Why you've been following Jesus for a while. Listen, there's no finish line on this side of heaven, okay? There's no finish line of discipleship on this side of heaven. We are called to continually pursue Christ and grow more and more and more. So that's what he's telling them as you guys know this, let me just encourage you on how to not only you're crushing it, here's how you can even do it better. And don't settle. Don't, you know, keep going. And he finishes by saying, for you know what commands we gave you, key word, through Jesus. This is something that Jesus himself has spoken and showed us. So this is important. So this is where we're going to pick up right there because he goes then specifically on explaining how can we live a life that pleases God. And so let's read. We're going to read all the way through from uh, verse 3 all the way through 8. So here he goes. For this is God's will. So if you've ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? That phrase actually pops up a couple times. Here's one of the many ways. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God, This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all of these offenses. As we also see previously, and told you, and look at this word he says, we've warned you guys this. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. So a key word here, as he's saying, how can we live a life that blesses God? He says, well, let me tell you what God's will for your life is. And his will means his desire. This is what God wants for us. And what does he say? This is what God wants for us. Sanctification, not Sexual morality, and it's interesting that Paul brings those two words together because both sanctification, sexual morality, those are two those are two roads that are going in the complete opposite direction, guys. You cannot be in one and in the other and make it in you know and, and arrive at the same destination. You can't. It is one or the other because they both, at their heart, they are the complete opposite. And just so you know I mean, I like giving definitions because that way when you read, especially I'm talking to the church now, I love giving definitions regularly. So that way when you read the Bible next time and you see that word, you already got some context. So every time you hear of sanctification, let me just tell you what that is. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification means growing in your faith. That's what that means. It is all, if you are believe in Christ Jesus, you know that's what you want, right? I want to grow in my faith. I want to know how to follow God better. I want to overcome certain things. Sanctification, guys, is the process of being liberated from sin and liberated from old ways of thinking, old ways of feeling, old ways of living. Sanctification is a process of freedom in Christ, That's what that is. That's what sanctification is. And that's God's desire. This is what he wants. In essence, he's saying God's will is for you and him to get closer. Right? That's his heart for you. He loves you. And he wants you to encounter his love more and more and over and over again. This is what he wants for you. He wants what's best. And he knows what's best. It's him. That's sanctification. The process of sanctification is it molds us to be more like Christ, and Christ is selfless. Jesus did not come to serve, but to what? If you know, be served. And so to be more like Jesus means, again, like we said earlier today, that I may decrease so he may increase. It is becoming more selfless, more Christ-centered. Here's the thing about sexual immorality. Sexual morality, according to what God has described, is a complete opposite. It is not becoming more like Christ. Sexual morality left untamed actually helps you to become less and less like Christ, because because in sexual morality it is all self-centered. It is all about you. It is about your feelings, what you want, the way you want it. It is all about you, and it's not becoming selfless. It's actually a process of becoming more and more self-ish. You see what I mean? They're two opposite roads that do not lead in that same direction. And it's important, guys, because, listen, God's will for you is to draw even closer to him. But, you know, the enemy has a will for you, too. The enemy does not want you to draw near to God. The enemy doesn't want you, and he uses this as a way. And let me just give you a plan, a really basic—I'm going to expose the enemy really quick, all right? when I say the enemy, we're talking about the devil, kingdom of darkness, and demons. When it comes to sexual morality, I'll tell you right now, singles— Okay, non-married people, uh, God, the, the enemy, not God, the enemy's will for your life if you're single is to get into the bedroom. That's his will for you because he knows it's going to jack you up and mess you up. All right, the enemy's, will, the enemy's will for you if you are not married is to get in the bedroom. And for all the married folks, God, oh, the enemy has a will for you is to stay out of the bedroom. Both. That's what it is. It's complete flipped. It's opposite because he knows. He knows that this is something that can hurt you, harm you. And so that's what he does. He flips everything on its head. And remember, we're supposed to, Paul is encouraging them more and more. Give yourself to God more and more. You should be heading in this direction, growing. But you know what sexual morality does? It always wants more and more, and it's never satisfied, and it never leaves you happy. It always leaves you emptier than when you were before. It never, it's always more and more and more. And so this is interesting, guys, because as he's talking about sanctification, he uses this one thing because here's the one thing, and maybe some of you, maybe some of you, you may be wondering, why am I not growing in my faith? Why am I not growing the way I'm seeing other people? Well, let me just kind of say it this way. How you advance in your faith is determined by what you allow. How you advance is determined by what you allow. And so what you allow in your eyes, what you see, and what you hear, the environment that you surround yourself with, that you allow, that's the, the, your friends, the, you know, the, the, all of this stuff, the entertainment that you watch, how you spend your time, your downtime, your free time, the environment that you surround yourself with, if you allow it, and it is not nothing, and it isn't something that is, you know, helps you and encourages you to be more like Christ, it is going to slow you down. It's not going to help. It's going to hinder or it can hurt. And you may say, well, hold on, man, I don't watch certain things. I don't do that. I don't see this. I don't. You know, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm not like that. Okay, well, yes, but how much of your time are you giving towards God that's intentional, that's good time? Other than a good morning, half prayer, a Bible verse of the day, I'll see you tomorrow morning, right? No, it is, that's what's important. What kind, what are you allowing? What are you allowing? Because that can help you, but it can also hurt you. And understanding, and Paul is trying to help this church and us as, a, as and the Spirit is trying to help us as well understand a key tool, a key phrase that I'm sorry, I, I, read, the, I read the word tool because that's part of the quote. Uh, this is phrase that uh, uh, somebody that I follow, his name is Cody Bobay, I think that's how you pronounce it. He says this, which is something very in line with what Paul's trying to communicate that the body, the body is a great tool, it's a horrible idol. Okay, listen to that. The body is a great tool to serve God. It's a great tool to make a difference in the world. It's a great tool to be a blessing to other people. The body is an amazing tool, but it's a horrible idol. And if you, and when I mean idol, guys, you understand you can worship your body. You worship your body by giving it what it wants. Your body has a will. And its natural will is everything outside of God. That's what we call the flesh. It is that part of you that wants to do everything the opposite of what God wants. You have a will. And if you, that's your flesh. And if you sacrifice it, you are bowing down to that, giving it what it desires. Remember, what is God's will for you? That you give yourself to him. Your flesh says, no, give yourself to me. Not him, me. I will satisfy you. I will make you happy. I will fulfill. Do this the way I want, not the way he wants. It's important, guys, that we understand this. Notice, and the thing with when we worship our bodies as idols, and especially when we allow certain things that we watch or hear that feed that, when we do that, it actually, sexual morality, what it does is it devalues and it devours. It it devours your self-esteem, and it devalues you. Like, you, you kind of allow to be treated a kind of way that, that you know you shouldn't, but you're willing to because you're so, maybe you're either so dead inside that you're willing just to do something to feel alive. Maybe. Maybe some people are just so lonely that they just want that human touch just to feel, I'm not alone. Maybe they just, they're so unloved that they just want to, they give themselves away so they can feel loved, even if it's for a moment. But it's never enough, is it? you got to keep double dipping, double dipping, back and forth, back and forth, because it's never enough. Yet it wants more and more and more, always. And so the thing is that it devalues us, and it treats, it literally turns the body, the human body, instead of a treasure that should be cherished, it turns it into a toy that can be played with and tossed away. And I know there's a lot of you guys that have been treated like toys. Been used, abused, and tossed when somebody had their fun and it was all done. Some of you have probably done on the opposite end. And that doesn't help it doesn't it just it hurts it doesn't make it any better so that's why paul says notice did you read in in verse four he says control your bodies in holiness and in honor not in lustful passions like the gentiles or non-believers do the people who don't know god so listen if you're i'm talking to christians now if you are allowing this to happen in your life and you say i am a believer in christ jesus but you allow this to happen you are what i hear a lot of preachers uh, mention and describe as a practical atheist you are someone who says i believe in God but you live like he doesn't exist you live like he doesn't exist you live and you do certain things without the consequence because you if you really believe then you really wouldn't be playing this kind of game with your life or with these things and so he says control your bodies and guys I want to I want you to know something right there the fact that he says control your bodies means that God is trying to tell us that we can We can't. It is so easy for us to say, well, I I can't control it. I can't control myself. To a certain extent, if, if you find yourself, you can't control yourself, then you got two issues. Number one, the power of God must be absent from your life. And here's the thing. If you can't control yourself, that means something hasn't happened. You've never turned to Christ. Maybe you went to Jesus to, for, for a moment. You felt good, but you never made him Lord and Savior. He has not changed you because when you, when you encounter Christ, you are never really the same again. You are never the same. So if you find yourself stuck and I can't control myself, then maybe, maybe that one of the reasons is because it, you, the power of God is absent in your life. And what you need to do is truly come to Christ for the first time, really. Or... You are ignorant of the power that is in you already. Like if you can't control yourself, but you are a believer in Christ and saved, then that means you are ignorant of God's power. Because if Paul is saying by inspiration of the Spirit, control, it means you can, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the mighty God that is in you. You can, you can't be, oh, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm, my, my phone, what, what is, no, don't, don't, don't type in that, that, that website. No, don't, don't hit search. No, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Someone stop me. Like you can't control that? So sir, I want you to know that in Christ we can. That's an important thing there that we can. So that's, that is a what. But notice he says, how do we control ourselves in what? In holiness. And holiness means it, it points to God. The holiness of who he is, his ways that we are learning more and more to align our lives, our emotions, our affections, our feelings, our actions into who he is. Because the only thing that is holy is God. He is not saying control your lives and live a perfect life. That is not what he's saying. Because, and let's be real, no one's perfect. We can't do that. What he's saying is more and more align yourself into holiness, into who he is. And I love, he, he gives a why. I love that Paul gives a why. Because it's one thing for me to tell you, don't do it. Don't think. Don't, ah, whatever. And you'll be like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to, but I don't want to not do that. I want to do it. And so you're kind of like, mm, okay, listen, he gives a why, he says, "Control yourself in holiness and honor," meaning honor yourself. Like when you do this, it's be, you know honor yourself. Don't just just devalue yourself in that way, but ultimately, it's a way of honoring God. Why should we do this? Why should we control our bodies? Because we should want to. I want to grow closer to God because of who He is and what He's done for me. I know and trust Him. I want Him. I want him, and if him means not and avoiding, then so be it. I will count everything as, a, as loss in order to gain Christ. So we ought to do it out of honor for who he is and what he's done. And not, notice he says, control your bodies in holiness, not in lustful passions, meaning don't let your passions control you. Because let's be real. There's a, there's, there is freedom when we surrender to Christ, but there's slavery when we surrender to our flesh. And the opposite ways. You are not in control. You are out of control. Something is controlling you. And that's what sexual immorality does if we're not careful. So, what we have to do is learn to how do we control our bodies and holiness? Feed, feed. We gotta feed on the love of God and starve the lust of the flesh. There's so many ways we can do that. Feeding, the lo- feeding on the love of God. Some of you are doing it right now. It's opening your heart and opening yourself, pursuing Christ, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through the reading of God's word, or just, you know, listening, consuming, going after him. Uh, by the way, not alone, together. It, together, as believers in Christ, it's part of it. We're supposed to do it together. So we're supposed to feed on that love, feed on the love of God from each other. Remember, this is the environment that we can allow. We ought to feed on God's love directly and indirectly through brothers and sisters in the faith. It's important. We do that and then starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. You know you don't need to be looking at certain shows. You know you shouldn't. If I do that, I have to fast forward this a million times. Listen, all right. The music you listen to, the different things, the environment—that just kind of. This is where you put yourself in. There is things that we can control. We need to learn to starve our flesh. Of course, you're going to keep falling if you are feeding your flesh and you're starving your spirit. That's what—that's what the enemy wants you to do—is flip it. Oh, all you need to do is show up to church every once in a while, read a Bible verse once a day, throw a Hail Mary prayer while you—you know—while you eat, and you're good to go. Okay? No, man, you are. St- starving. That's why you're, you're so weak and you can't control yourself because you are giving yourself to the very opposite thing. Feed the feed on the love of God, on his love, and starve the lust of the flesh. And as a church, we ought to be that kind of community that people can just kind of be encouraged and eat. Did you notice that he kind of brought something up a little scandalous? He actually said, he notice he says, do not take advantage of Or transgress against brothers and sisters, for God will avenge these offenses. Like he's saying, uh, this is a church-wide thing. Apparently, there must have been some news that there was some people, a guy or a girl, all right, or both, who knows, that um, instead of loving one another inside of the church, they were lusting over each other, all right? And he was like, because that word he says, take advantage. He's like saying, exploit. Apparently, either this was happening in other churches or in this one, but apparently inside of the church, people were exploiting others sexually. They were kind of, they were running through that church membership. Okay, that's what they were going. They were just kind of running through it. And I said, uh, no, 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 we're supposed to love one another. Guys, not lust over each other. That's not how it goes. No, and it matters. And notice Jesus said, what well, his Holy Spirit was saying right here, Christ will avenge these offenses. I'm, we've warned you about this. That's a heavy word. Why would God care so much about what happens inside of the church? Because what happens inside of the church is going to, it determines and it, it influences those that are on the outside. Jesus says, your love for one another as believers in Christ will, others will see that you are real disciples and they will come to know me. They will come. We shine your light so that they, others, will give glory to your Father. The way we operate as a church should be different, and it should point people and encourage them to say, "Look, this is better. It is Christ that is what we need." But if people inside of the church are living like those outside, you ain't got nothing different to offer. If those inside of the church are living the exact same way as everybody in the outside, I'm like, All right, "What's the difference?" There's no difference. So why do I need to listen to you? Why do I need to be a part of something that I'm already a part of? See? And God, he says uh, God will avenge those offenses, meaning he's going to do something about it because he loves you. So if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus and you are playing with these games, I'm now warning you God's going to deal with you. And by the way, do you know that God can punish you and not send you to hell? Do you know that? He, you can be saved and still play in this sin. He can still, he's gonna still deal with you. You might have to deal with the consequences of that decision. You might have to, you know, drop out of school to have to take care of that, you know, kid now that you have. You might have to deal with the uh, STD for the rest of your life, right? He's gonna have, he'll deal with you one way or another, because he loves you, and again, his will for you is to grow in sanctification. If you're gonna go the opposite way, because he's a good dad. He's going to come after you to say this way, even if it's tough love. No, not that way, this way. So I'm warning you, the same way Paul warned that church, don't play these games because God cares about those that are on the outside of them. He cares about those that are not believers in Christ. and says, y'all represent me well because I love those who aren't saved yet. It matters how we carry ourselves. And so he says, he wraps up in verse 7, God has not called us. He has not called us to impurity, impurity. By the way, let's just even define sexual morality. Impurity and sexual morality is any affections, attractions, and actions that aren't expressed between two heterosexuals in marriage and covenant with God. That's it. That's it. So we're talking about not just homosexual attractions and actions, heterosexual ones too. All right. So stepping out, thinking, doing all, all of that. Anything anything that is not. And by the way, you can still do this even if you're married. The way you're thinking and acting and and fantasizing about so-and-so instead of is a lot. It's important. It's important that we understand. He says, God has not called you to that because that is not helpful. That is hurtful. What is his will that we draw near to him? He says, God has not called you to impurity but he calls us to live in holiness. Guys, holiness is not living in perfection in your own. To live in holiness is to live in Christ who is holy. It's in him, in him, through him, by him, according to him, to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit. I love his little mic drop. Oh, and by the way, if you disagree with me, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God, you gotta deal with him. You got to deal with him and who gives us the Holy Spirit, the very thing that sanctifies us. So in essence, you're saying, oh, thank you for that Holy Spirit, God, but I'd rather do this way. No, you're saying no to him. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful and we need to understand when we, when we understand, okay, this whole part, God has called us to impurity. God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. What does that mean? Because guys, let me tell you, let me warn you, there's a way that you can get purity wrong. There's a way that you can get purity wrong. And there's a way that people in the church have gotten purity wrong, thinking they were doing it the right way. So the hookup culture, we kind of talked about that. Let's just talk a little bit about the, little, the holiness culture and really make sure we understand what is Paul trying to say? What does he mean? Here's the thing. A lot of times, and there's churches, there's books, there's things that have been pushed out there that say that, and treat purity like a possession, Something that some have and some that some people don't have. All right, I kind of I, I read one of those books when I was dating. I was dating heavy in the purity culture back in the nineties and, and the early two thousands, and so that was a big deal. And so my first date, my first uh, you know was Alicia, my wife. She was my first date, date my first girlfriend, my first kiss. All right, that was her. And so the thing was is that here I. I had allowed the culture to really shape my understanding of dating more than God's word. And it's not that I didn't have options. It's not that I didn't have people telling me the good, you know, what I should and what shouldn't do. I'm just going to be real. I allowed the environment, I allowed the world environment to shape and mold my thinking, her as well. And so we made a lot of mistakes when we were 14 and 15. I mean, what are two 15-year-olds going to do with um, unsupervised and lack of knowledge? they're going to get in trouble. Okay. So that's what happened. I'm being real. So that's what happened. So we had to break up. We had to do this. And we had to, you know, find that healing and restoration and get right. And at that moment, my parents did something that I would have done. So no shame on mom. I know you are watching. All right. No shame. Cause I would have done the same thing. Here's my son. He has an issue. You know, he, he didn't get it right. His first time dating. I mean, literally just, you know, failed. Okay. all every, in every which way, checked every box. And so what does he need? Well, he just needs maybe some more encouragement, some more education. So I got a book. And the book was called I Kiss, Date, and Goodbye. It was the book I got. All right? And I'm like, what? I'm like, I I date one person. All right? I date one person, fail, and then I got to kiss a goodbye. I'm done. You're pulling me from the game. That's it? It's over? Like, what? I don't get a a second chance at this. I got it. That's it. You're done. Okay? Cut off. Oh, my gosh. Now, again, I would have done the same thing because that was the number one selling book. Around that time, which pushed this big purity culture, because the hookup culture in the 70s and 80s with high, te- you know, teenage pregnancies and this and that and STDs was skyrocketing. So the church was like, oh, we got to get kids and we got to get our kids to stop doing stuff. And so they pushed it and they overemphasized purity. By the way, uh, I don't recommend that book. The, the author of that book, that I Kissed Dating Goodbye, has renounced that book, pulled that book is now an atheist. So not a good thing. Anyways, he was a Christian, by the way, when he wrote that. He said he was. So the thing is that here's how you can get holiness wrong, and I had to unlearn a lot of this because holiness was pushed as a possession. You have it or you don't, okay? And usually purity was always pushed with virginity, all right? So if you're a virgin, you're pure. If you're not, you can pretend to be pure again and start over again from here on out, you know, kind of like a new starting line, right? But that was hard for some people because they didn't. Once you have it, you have it. Once you don't, you don't. There's no kind of going back on that. There's no reversing that. It is what it is. And so when purity is a possession, then you can become overly consumed by it. You can be consumed by it. You can actually turn purity into an idol. Do you know that? Do you know that purity, your virginity can be an idol? For those, let me just be real. Because there were some people that were so like, I have this. Some don't. Sexual morality turns you, self, makes you very self-centered. It's all about you. If you're not careful with purity and, and your holiness and virginity, you can become very self-righteous. See, I, I don't do those things like so-and-so does. I don't do, like him or her. I, it can be, if, when purity becomes an idol, you are self-righteous now. You think you're better than everybody else because you haven't done stuff. Let me warn you. Do you know that you can be a virgin and still have a body count? Let me explain body count. Body count is a phrase that means people that you have been with, slept with. Okay? That's a thing, by the way. If you've ever heard parents, you go, oh, yeah, I got a body count. That doesn't mean that's their high score on like Call of Duty, okay? That's not what that means. All right? It's not a video game thing. This is real life, okay? A body count is a number of people that they have been with, okay? Here's the thing do you know that you can be a virgin and still have a body count according to Jesus? Jesus said, you've heard it said. Don't commit adultery, meaning don't sleep around with anybody that's not your spouse. But I tell you, if you've even thought about somebody or something, it's like you did it in your heart. Meaning, if you've ever done one of these, mm, oh, that's it, done, you did it, okay, over, you did it. If you ever just realized, okay, it's done. Yeah, scratched, eccies, all, all over, you did it, you're done, you failed, all right, Guys that means you can be a virgin and still have a body count. And our body counts are astronomical if you think about it. It's huge. And this is this matters and so the thing is that you can't view purity as a possession because guess what? You never had it. You've never had it. We are all born fallen sinners. None of us are pure. You have never had it. Purity is not a possession. It's a process. That's what it is. That's what sanctification is. This is why Paul would constantly say, this is who I was, past tense, because sanctification starts when you get saved. When you call on the name of Jesus, you are no longer the same. That is the old you. Yeah, that was you, but that that person is dead and crucified on the cross. It's over. That's my old me. And sanctification starts at that moment. And so Paul would use phrases, I was this, no longer. And he would use other phrases, I am being, I am becoming, I am growing. That is sanctification, is that process. And then Paul would eventually say things like, and then I will be. Future tense. When Christ returns, this is what I will be. Sanctification is the process from what I was to what I will be, the entire way. Purity is a process. It is a path that Jesus paved with his blood that all of us can and should continue on and walk on more and more. It is a process, but I want you to know that that's, what, that's the call that God wants. God wants to say, look, go on that road, go this way. Look, I've, I've heard this said many times. Jesus did not save us from our sins so that we can keep swimming in them. Hear that, please. I've heard that said a lot of times. Jesus did not save us from our sins so that we can keep swimming in them. Boom, backstrokes and all that stuff. I was like, no. It is so that we can get out of that pool and on a different path. It towards him. This is what Paul is trying to remind them and that we ought to be encouraged to do the same thing. That we may understand it because when we see it, not as a possession, but as a process, this is something for all of us, not just some of us. And we need to move forward in this because, listen, purity, when you get it wrong, has bad promises. Here's what people would say. Here's how you view it wrong. If you suffer, this is all for all my single folks, ready? And, you know, my single folks and married folks. If you just suffer and, and, and forget, you know, any of your temptations to want to do this and think of that, just, just suppress those feelings. Suffer. Because if you suffer and suppress, God will give you a great spouse, and he'll give you great sex if you suppress all those things, like a promise. Look, show me the verse. Show me the verse where that that promise is. Show me the verse. There's not, and a lot of people think, see, that's very if and then, very, look, God, I'm gonna do, and because I do, you better coming through. Do you know how many people have been disillusioned because I was like, I saved myself, I saved myself, and they see a great person, Uh uh-oh, so-and-so is, oh, they're a great person and all, but they've messed around. I deserve better. I deserve better than that. Self-righteous. You see how that goes? It's, it's, it's false. It's that false sense. And, and it's a bad promise. Like you think, oh, this is what I'm waiting for. This is what I'm waiting for. No, a great spouse isn't something that's received. A great spouse is something you ought to be and grow in. You ought to be that great spouse. And then that promise of bad of you know of great sex too, that's a horrible promise. Like, you know how many people have been disillusioned? They put it in this big idea, oh, this is what it is, and they glorify it. Oh, I can't wait for the day. And when my honeymoon shows up, I can't wait for that day. And then they have zero understanding. They've done nothing. And then they have that moment and then they start to, wait a minute, this is what I've been waiting for? This was awkward. This was weird. ill, Oh my gosh. It's like and then some people are like, this isn't that great. It was, oh, my gosh, it was kind of traumatizing at first maybe. Yeah, of course, you're a rookie. You don't know what you're doing. Of course, no one's going to out the gate just be, boom, awesome like that. You got to, it's okay. You grow in that with your spouse. Now, if any of you see, that's exactly why. That's exactly why. I don't want that. I want to be a freaking MVP. I want to be showing up that day. So I'm going to kind of like mess around and practice. So on that day, I'm going to be. Boom, I'm going to show. You selfish, prideful person. You are going to use other people so that you then could show off on someone. else. Do you think your spouse is going to be, listen, uh, we got to talk. I, I want to thank you for what, what you've been doing to prep for the tonight. Oh, my. I want to thank you for all the things that you did and whoever you did it with because it was worth it. Thank you so much for the effort that you put in for me. No, there no one's going to be like that. You prideful person, you just want to do it to feel good about yourself and show off. Even to your spouse, you've already started off wrong. That's not what this is for. You can avoid the future promises that say, suffer now and be satisfied later. No. See, in Christ, when we put him first, even when it comes to our proper understanding of this, we have a better promise. It's not suffer now, be satisfied later. No, it's you can be satisfied now because you don't need that to feel loved. You don't need that to feel special. You don't need that to feel alone because Christ is better than all those things. You can be satisfied now in Christ and you don't have to lower your standards or just give yourself away, give yourself to him. It's a better promise that has now ramifications And we get to avoid the negative associations. Listen, do you know how many couples I've heard? People, Christians, who have messed around and they didn't have rules. They just did whatever they wanted to do, watched whatever they wanted to do. And then eventually they got married. And then sex got boring. Do you know why? Because you trained your flesh to respond to the rush of sin. Let's be real, guys. We've all done something bad and it was exciting because you knew it was wrong. You got the rush from doing something wrong. Do you know that I've heard people Who, man, prior to getting married, it was great because they associated everything with the rush of doing the wrong thing. Now, uh, you can do it. It's no longer wrong. And now it's like this desire they don't want to because they train their body to respond to the rush. Not to love. And then there's the opposite. There are some people who struggle, married couples, and probably some of you guys, there's married couples who struggle with being intimate with their spouse. Because for years, it was beat in their head and beat in their brain. Everything that is being sex and sexual and all this is bad, wicked, evil, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, shameful, bad, negative. And then when they get married, it's hard for them to undo that. And so even being with their spouse, they, they feel conviction. They being with their spouse, they feel this sense of shame because that's what they've grown up with and it's been beat in their head when you see it the wrong way. You have to unlearn that. And some people, they struggle with that. But when you put... you know, God and sanctification first and you put that well, now you can have all the positive associations with sex. You know that this is wrong outside of context. Listen, our whole building right now online, you're surrounded by electricity, but it's contained. If there was an open wire somewhere and I touch it, I'm going to get shocked or die. That's what sex is. Contained in marriage, it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Exposed when it's outside of that does damage. And so you know it's a good thing in its context. It's not now. It's not for now. It's for later. It's a good thing. So you don't have the negative associations. Guys, it's okay. Some of y'all need to hear this. It is okay if you're married to feel sexy, be sexy, even be seductive. It's okay if if you're fine with that. It's okay inside of that context. Sex is not no longer not only for procreation and marriage. It's also for recreation too. Can I get a? Thank you. All right. (laughs) It can be for procreation and recreation. It's fine inside of that context. Outside, it's going to be damaging. No. So now you can have the positive associations without the negative. And what's awesome about this, listen, purity culture in the wrong way is fear-based. Don't, don't do. Don't not do date. Don't kiss. Don't hold hands. Don't do. Or else God will. Or else you will fall and you will fail. Don't do. Don't do. It's fear-based. No. It should be grace-based. We choose not to do because of what God has done for us. You see that? I don't do. If you're married, I don't do certain things because of what God has done for me. If you're single, I choose not to do these things because of what God has done for me. That's important there. And, guys, I want you to memorize that. And that you, the bottom line is this, man, your purity is a process, not a possession. And, and that process, it tackles your affections and attractions. Listen, just because you're married doesn't mean you're no longer going to be tempted by thinking and acting and feeling a kind of way. In fact, again, it's going to be different, but it might be worse. And if you've ever, and I know, you know, everyone who's watching or here, if you've ever even struggled with homosexual tendencies, listen, this is a process. It's a process. God loves you. Listen, I know Christians who still struggle with lying, still struggle with pride and greed, still struggle with sexual attractions and affections. Do you know that heaven will be filled with believers in Christ Jesus who have received Christ and they still struggled with that desire because that was a part of their old self. It's okay, it's a process. It's a process of growing and learning and letting God's love shape you more and more and more. But what I want to warn you today is don't pursue purity. If you're in your marriage, don't pursue purity if you're married. If you are in single, don't pursue purity because then you're consumed by it pursue Christ be consumed by him you pursue Christ he will purify you in the process you see that pursue Christ and he will purify you in the process and if you're single and married if you do this and commit to right now say we're going to stop doing certain things thinking certain things watching certain things some of you in your marriages you need to stop allowing certain things Stop allowing certain things and and look at it differently. Single, same thing. You got to stop allowing certain things because when we do, do you know what the church can be? You know what we are now? When we hold to this and when we pursue sanctification and we don't go and and look at and treat sex the way the world does, we bear witness to the dignity of the body, that this body is meant for more than just toys and to be used in, in pleasure and to be satisfied. No, we testify that the body is made for more. It is made to please God. It is made to be found in God. It is made for him, not for myself. And it also bears witness. If for my singles that hold it down and lock it down, and my married folks that hold it down and lock it down, you bear witness to the faithfulness of God. If you're single and somebody asks you, wait a minute, you you, you don't do boom this? Or maybe you don't do it anymore? how come let me tell you about my god who how can you do that i can't live like that yeah me neither but let me tell you how god helps me you see how you can be a testimony to the power of god's faithfulness if you're single if you're dating same thing yo you dating all right how many times nah no, I mean you know what yeah we don't do that what why oh yeah we used to do that but we don't anymore that's weird how come bro why are you being a punk no see let me tell you about how i can do that and why his name is jesus you bear testimony to something that is better. And if you're married, oh, so you telling me, bro, you don't fantasize about anybody else while you're with her? you telling me that you don't watch something all secretive? you telling me you don't do that? Why? How? Let me tell you about this, because a married couple, a husband and a wife that are faithful to each other, bear witness to our faithful Christ who is faithful to his bride, the church. We bear witness to the glory of God. And this is something that we ought to grow in more and more, to process. I don't don't care where you are right now in this process. Today needs to be the day. And I love this about a possession because the process versus possession. A possession, if you have it, now you no longer have it. But see, process is, if you take 10 steps backwards, the process is taking the first step moving forward. And wherever you have come from or struggle with or dealing with, listen, the path runs through the cross, you can take that step forward to him. And that's what we are called and need to do. Because listen, Jesus became sin so that we can become his righteousness. Did you see that word become? Grow and be. He became the worst of us so we can grow and become more like him and draw near to him and grow in that freedom and victory over all of these things. And this is something that can happen and ought to happen more and more. So I want to challenge all of you as believers in Christ, what you do with your body should reflect the gratitude of what Jesus did with his. You hear me? What we do with our bodies should reflect the gratitude of what we have of what Jesus did with his because he is worthy of it all. And so I want to challenge all of you today as we wrap up, we're going to pray. And I want you to know, and I want to let all of us, because all of us are on this process together, come and crucify your shame, crucify your regrets, crucify your fear, crucify your struggles, so that you can begin that process of being made whole as you walk with the Holy God. So I want to pray for all of you as we wrap up. Let's bow our heads. Again, this is the, this is the beginning. I want, some, I want all of us to take a step towards Christ today. Lord, I want to thank you so much for that calling, Lord, that you said there, God, you are calling us to this. Lord, you are alive. You are speaking to us. You have paved this path with your blood, Jesus. And though there is a way out of the grave, a way out of our sin, a way out of our darkness, a way out of that old self that is dead and buried for all who have called on your name, Lord, forgive us if we are still swimming in the sins that you have saved us from. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, only you can do this. You, the more we pursue, the more we go after you, you purify our desires. You purify our desires in the process where you help us to love what you love, hate what you hate so that we can draw near to you. God, I pray for that right now. I pray for the church, and I, I want, if that's you, if you know, and if you've been convicted with some things that you are either thinking or saying or doing, I need you to take a step to Jesus right now, and that step is called repentance. Turn right now and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for allowing certain things, allowing this entertainment, allowing this in my house, allowing this kind of thinking. Forgive me right now, Lord. Forgive me for being so consumed. Maybe I, I, I'm not even spending that kind of intimate time with my spouse because I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I've, I've I've not I've neglected my spouse. If I'm single, same thing. You're doing things because it's for the clout, not for not for not for your Creator. Say, Lord, forgive me for being selfish lord forgive me sanctify me help me god into taking that process lord i pray holy spirit that you may remind and show us all that because for those of us that have called on your name lord you are strong in our weakness lord that we can control our bodies and affections in you that when we start to think a kind of way, we can return and say, no, I will not. And we can rein that in and turn to you right now and, and, and be made right, Lord. I pray that you may help each person right now. Holy Spirit, give them that. Show them, God, that they are strong in you. You are strong and your love is made, and your power is made perfect in their weakness. God, bring us along. Help us all pursue, God. There is so much still in us that needs to be removed. God, continue, Ex- show us. And may we turn from these things and run to the cross. Run to Jesus. I want, if you are not praying this as a believer in Christ, I want you just to get up and do that. Keep running to Him. Don't let sin and condemnation, because there is no condemnation in Christ. He knows all that you've done and worse. So run to Him. Run to Him. He is your Father. You don't have to worry. Uh Uh-oh, I did something. I'm in trouble. Dad's gonna kill me. No. If you're in trouble, you know that Dad's gonna make it better. Run to Him right now. Run to Him right now. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus. That's the last thing I'm going to leave you with. You can start that process today. Some of you have been used and abused, treated like toys by loved ones or other people that promised, that said they loved you and they turned around, and they didn't. Today can be the beginning of that process. Today is the beginning of that process. You can be whole. You can be healed You don't have to carry this shame or regret or burden anymore. Call on Jesus right now. Say, Lord, forgive me, save me, fix me, whatever it is, he can do it because in him you will be truly satisfied. And so if that's really, if that's you, let us know online and you can just raise your hand or come up later. We wanna pray with you and we just want you to know today is that process for all of us to go to Christ. God, I thank you that there is All things, all things you can heal in time. And you can even do it right now in an instant, in a moment. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you may do just that. Draw us all near to you. And I thank you, God, that again today is just one day, one step of a process of a lifetime. God, may we remember today to continually come back to you more and more and to feed on that love more and more and to chase after you more and more and repent of whatever sin that we see more and more and make whatever sacrifice more and more so that we could please you and enjoy and see what it means to have life, true life and joy in you. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, I want to remind you, okay, if you can remember one thing, remember that purity is a process. It is not a possession. And I want to challenge you again not to pursue purity because it is very easy for you to fall into a lot of self or man-made or very religious Activity that is more busy work that kind of makes you feel better about yourself because of what you're doing rather rather pursue christ because he will make you he will purify you along the process this is something you can't necessarily do but you put yourself in a position so that god can do that very thing and this is part of that being the kind of revolutionary right that god is looking for people that revolve their entire self on christ him at the center and when you do OK, when you do, you will realize, remember, we're supposed to do this in honor and you will realize that it is worthy and better, so much better to do things his way than the other way. I want to challenge you to keep having this conversation. Find ways as you pursue Christ and say, Lord, how can you, you know, purify my desires, my habits, my wants, my affections, attractions, all of it so that I can be a better reflection of you so that through my life, Lord, you can bear witness and I can bear witness of your faithfulness and glory and awesomeness. So I'm going to challenge you guys keep pressing on okay, and pursue Christ and he will purify you in the process and give you power to deal with the struggle. All right. Till next week.